Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome back to the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Pelican Built Tough. For all situations, go to pelican.com. Yak Gadget. For all your fine kayak fishing accessory needs, go to yakgadget.com. Eastport Marina on the beautiful shores of Dale Hollow Lake. For all your lodging, kayaking, and fishing needs, go to eastport.info. Now let's get this show started. Welcome back to another episode of Bass Fishing for Noobs here on the Paddle and Fin Podcast. I am your host, John Lavery. Uh, hopefully you guys still remember me. It has been a hot minute since I've uh, actually had a chance to sit down and record, uh, get something out for you guys, and I totally apologize for that. Uh, I took a few weeks off, uh, a week off for my family vacation, and uh, just last week uh, I went up to my the camp that I cancel out during the summer, uh, so that was a lot of fun too. Um, and now uh, I'm back. Um, and um, I just wanted to give a quick thanks to Brian and Jimmy for filling in uh, for me one of those weeks and recording a show. Uh, hopefully you guys uh, were able to tune in for that. Um, speaking of Brian and Jimmy, they are, as we record, uh, kind of living up the high life down at uh, ICAST along with Armando. And uh, so I hope those guys are doing great. By the time this airs, they will be probably on their way back and uh, have a lot of cool stuff to share with you guys. Um, so I can't wait to hear uh, what they come back with. So, um, but without further ado, I wanted to introduce my guest for tonight. Uh, any um, faithful Paddle and Fin listener should recognize him as the host of the Feather and Fur segment of Paddle and Fin. But uh, welcome, Brad Hurlboss. Thanks for having me, Sean. No problem, it's, man. I appreciate you coming on. It's different being on this side, you know, just get to <laughs> sit back and talk and not have any of the stress of like finding a guest or like hitting record, you know, those things. Yep. Yep. No, I'm glad I can take that uh, off your, uh, off your back for a little bit, but I uh, uh, appreciate you uh, making it easy for me to find a guest as well. Cause uh, I was, uh, you know, working to find one and uh, 
I, uh, when I came back from camp, I, uh, unfortunately tested positive for COVID. So I'm kind of stuck in my house for the next five to seven days, I guess. So, um, getting a little cabin fever, but, uh, I'm feeling not horrible, you know, I'm working my way through it, just trying to uh, keep the rest of my family healthy. But, uh, it's definitely nice to, you know, <laughs> talk to somebody, uh, and, uh, especially about fishing. Cause, uh, I, uh, I fished a little bit uh, in North Carolina. We fished from the beach a bit and uh, caught my first bluefish, a um, couple of other nice fish there. And then I fished up at camp, um, caught some nice bass up there. It's always nice fishing up there because it's a kind of a lake that uh, most people don't fish. It's very low pressure. So uh, fishing is usually pretty easy. It wasn't quite as good this year as it was uh, in previous years, but we still caught fish. Um, I usually take... Uh, I think this year I took 14 rods with me uh, so I can Just take all 14, the kids huh? fishing. Yeah. <laughs> as many as I could fit in my truck. And I didn't bring my, I didn't bring my best rods cause I'm always worried. I'm hard enough on my rods and uh, I'm always worried about, uh, you know, those rods getting broken. But uh, I took 14 of my less nicer rods um, and the kids definitely had a blast. So I was super psyched to see that. Um, um, so you can but, see behind me, I've got about a dozen of my good bass rods. What you can't see is over there, I've about 30 more rods, and a bunch of those are cheaper combos I bought. So when I was doing like guide stuff with Heroes on the Water, and then being a South, the South Central Project pro Program Coordinator for Wisconsin Hero Outdoors, I still take veterans out kayak fishing. So I have some less expensive combos for that because a lot of them have never kayaked before or fished before or one or the other, maybe they've kayak, not fish, fish, not kayak. So it's always nice to give them rods that are good, like good. But if it goes in the water, I'm not going to cry. Right, right. No, I completely understand that. And, and speaking of that, I should I should remember that for next year that I could probably borrow some of the rods from our local Heroes on the Water chapter because we have, you know, a whole bunch uh, that we take there. And as long as they're not having an event, I'm sure they probably wouldn't mind if I took them up to camp with me um it was uh I, I have to admit it was a little frustrating because i spent way more time uh you know untangling stuff and and uh <laughs> than i did fishing but it, like i said it's still it's still worth it to see those kids catch fish um my uh my 11 year old uh caught a, a nice bass like a probably like a 18 inch bass so she was super excited i was super nice. happy for her yeah so um but um, I wanted to, you know, have you on because you've actually been doing pretty good. I know your segment is more about uh, hunting, um, but you definitely are, are doing pretty well. And um, I, I super hope I don't jinx you uh, by having <laughs> you on tonight. Uh, but you're, you're uh, crushing at fishing this year, too. So um, tell us a little bit about how that's going for you. I've been having a really good season out of the kayak. So I've been fishing a local weeknight tournament, which has eight to ten regular opponents a handful of them are really good sticks a couple of them have done really well in like the bos series and bass series they're local to here but they they travel nationwide and i've been i've really been able to dial in my local lakes this year and i've had a really good season so currently i am first place for angler of the year and i think i'm i figured it out last night is depending on how the shuffle between second and third worked i think second stayed put almost positive. I should be 32 points in the lead with four events left with first pace take with first place, bringing 20 points. So I have a pretty comfortable lead right now. Like okay. I don't want to like knock on wood, but like I have a pretty good lead right now. Um, this year 
was my first win ever out of a kayak, which that happened a couple month ago about. Like I remember called Brian Schiller on the way home and I was just like, dude, I don't know who's to call. I got that win. <laughs> like I was crazy excited. Like at the ramp, I was kind of like, just like, oh, this is awesome. Good fishing, everyone. And then I got in my truck and I was like screaming like a kid. Like I'm like, I just did it. Like, and I was fishing and, and that was a big, I think we had 11 people or 12 people. And like I said, there's a lot of good stick set. I mean, it's a small little tournament, but there's a lot of good sticks in there that just kind of tr- keep their skills honed as they travel. So it's fun because I'm, I'm always like trying to better myself, obviously. And then last two, this past two nights, <laughs> and then yesterday, I had back to back wins both with big bass. Awesome. So that's three wins this season, a second, three thirds, and one fourth. Nice, nice. So a couple, uh, you know, another win or two, and you're going to definitely have it in the bag because there ain't too many people are going to catch you. I didn't think I was going to win last night. I really didn't. It, it was really. It was a gamble and a grind. I went back to a spot I'd caught good fish at before, which put me in second place. No, I take that back. My first win was on this lake out of the same spot. So last night was crazy windy, 15, 20, gusting 30, and our launch put us directly in, like at the corner of the lake into the wind. So it was solid white caps, and pretty much most of the anglers went upriver. I did as well. I got a I did a little fishing inside a tiny marina, super shallow, really choked out with weeds. Didn't get a bump. I'm like, all right, I'll keep working my way up river, find more current. I got to the first bridge, thought I would clear, and all my rods got hung up. So I stopped, put all my rods down, got back out from under the bridge, and I was frustrated. I'm like, I'm going where I want to go. And it took me probably 30 minutes of like battling those waves and chewing through weeds to get back to where I wanted to go. So it's what 6:30 now. Fishing's 530 to nine. And I start fishing this like I did before. And it's like the holes are super weed choked now. The wind's blown in a lot of floating debris, a lot of duck weeds sitting on top. I got ducks all around me. I've got raccoons hanging out on the shore. Like mm-hmm. it's a wildlife and I can't find fish. And I go the first hour of throwing, like we'll talk more about like the jig and worm because I've been doing great on that. Like I threw the jig and worm. I threw a jig with a craw, a frog a wacky and not a single bite. I would think wacky would be tough in that kind of wind, just detecting anything. I know when I throw a wacky and it's windy like that, you know, I really am fighting that big bow in my line. And, you know, that's why I would think something heavier like a jig would might be, uh, you know, a better bet. But So that little Creek I went into has a peninsula that comes out and I was actually really blocked from the wind. Oh, okay. So it actually, I was actually a little tucked in corner. There's enough wind coming in to sweep, like to get a little bit of flow in there, plus the current from this creek. But for the most gotcha. part, I was relatively wind protected compared to the main lake. I was very wind protected compared to the main lake. So I could fish okay. a wacky. It wasn't great on top of the weeds. Like it didn't work well. I think <laughs> there was enough chop in there to like really not let it sink how I wanted to. Yep. And if I really didn't keep enough tension on it to let it sink, it got hung up in the weeds. It just wasn't a great choice. Um, but what really, what I found out what really worked was picking apart a single blowdown with some current and some wind. And I was throwing a 10 inch worm on a three ounce Texas rig, not pegged, which that not gave pegged. it just okay. a, not pegged. So when it would, and they would hit it on the drop. So that weight was going in there, starting to pull it down, and that worm was just floating but starting to drop. 
and that little bit of weight allowed it to pull fast enough down like underneath that chop and that little slop on top that they mm -hmm. were hitting it before it got in the weeds gotcha interesting it and it was and there was enough wind there to like make it frustrating like for casting accuracy mm -hmm. and your cast had to be super specific because if you were three feet off of like i caught two fish out of the same like one foot circle wow like right on like right next to the same blowdown. if mm -hmm. you cast like i had casted three to five feet away from there and they never touched it and then i caught my third fish with five minutes left five feet same blowdown from those other two and you've actually you've taken big bass too quite a few times so uh, was that last or which one was your big bass last night so big bass was my first fish at 18 inches that i pulled out of that blowdown last week was it 18 and a half last week was a big chunky one now i gotta remember no, i don't remember <laughs> <laughs> now i gotta look back at my phone i'm the guy in his phone on a podcast look at me go hey that's oh, all right that's all right i might have already deleted those pictures um, I was I was wondering about that because I know eighteen. Um, it was eighteen okay. again, but it was super chunky. Just a fast. Nice. It was all. I didn't bring the scale out. Four point eight ish. It wasn't quite five, but it was high fours for sure. That's a cool lake, like what you were fishing, super unpressured and just has big, big fish. Gotcha. Nice. And and how many different places do you fish in this tournament? Is uh, or Does it kind of rotate around? or It does. So it's mainly focused on the Madison chain. So we have Mendota, Monona, Wapisa, and Kiganza. And then we've had four other events also in Dane County to mix it up a little more. So it, I don't want to name all of those because some of those are some like if, if you want to do the research, you can figure it out. But Absolutely. some of those I don't yep. want to name. Yep. No, nope, I, I don't blame you. <laughs> but the Madison chain sees like that's the, like that's one thing that's been a huge confidence boost for me. The Madison chain sees a ton of pressure. Two years ago, I fished. So I've been kayak fishing for since 2013 ish. Mm -hmm. I think I started in a canoe, then moved to a kayak. But in 2020, I bought a bass boat and I went really hard into the bass boat tournaments. And there's a weeknight league on the Madison chain here for bass boats. Um, I did okay. I think I finished 12th that year for Angler of the Year, and that was my first year ever doing bass boats. So I was I was pretty pretty happy yeah, with that. I'd say that's I really, okay. I finished that good because I was consistent and just fished every single weeknight. Like I never won the money. I never had big bass. That was what that was your single biggest fish by measurement is how they did it. Gotcha. But I really learned a lot. Um, but the Madison chain, going back to that. You have a Tuesday night boat league that rotates. You have the Tuesday night kayak league that rotates. There's a Wednesday boat lead. And when I was there, it was normally 20 to 30 boats every single night. Sometimes a lot of boats had two people. I mean, I've seen, I saw over 50 people on that for a Wednesday night tournament. Wow. And then you have a lot of Saturday and Sunday tournaments. If you look at the DNR schedule, there's almost a boat tournament out here a big boat tournament anywhere between like 50 and 200 boats every single weekend. Wow. That is pretty heavy pressure. So to consistently catch fish on this lake, like it, it's really it, like, I, I keep wanting to say like, I'm just getting super lucky, but like, I think I've like, at this point, I almost feel like I've kind of got it somewhat figured out, like to be more consistent like this. Like I have some lakes that I don't do good on. 
I mean, there's just some that sometimes I'm hit or miss. Like I either haven't figured out or I don't on the chain. Mm -hmm. That really rolls around time of year, to be honest. Like some lakes I'm really good on in spring and I just haven't figured out that mid hot summer bite. Right. Other lakes I can't figure it out in spring, but I understand the mid hot summer bite out there. And you would think it'd be the same because they're all connected, but each lake fish is completely different. Interesting. Do you have some that are, are more grassy than others? I know um, we have, that's one nice thing about where I live is I have one lake close by me that what I call my home lake that really doesn't have any grass at all. Um, it's a reservoir, but then I have uh, one uh, to the north of me that gets really grassy. And so I kind of get to learn how to fish both ways. Um, I actually almost prefer the non-grassy one. Uh, I don't think I do as well in the thick grass, but that's something I definitely started working on and I feel like I'm getting more comfortable with that. So all three, all, all four lakes have everything you could want from deep water to grass, to rock, to brush, to cribs. It's just figuring out at what time of year, what is where is really what right. it is. Um, but right. all, all four lakes have a really good variety of everything. So you can really, I mean, if you're a deep water fisherman, you can find your deep water spots on any of these lakes. If you're a shallow water guy, you can work your shallow water magic and have a chance. It's really trying to locate and find what's holding the big fish at that time. Okay. Interesting. All of these, all of these lakes have largemouth and smallmouth. Okay. That's, that's one thing that um, by me, there's not many smallmouth in the lakes that I fish. Um, I have... In my home lake, uh, like I said, I, I have caught one pretty nice smallmouth there, and a buddy of mine I saw catch one. Um, I have pictures of him, but it's definitely not a common occurrence there. They're in there, but uh, not many. So, um, uh, But yet then on the river, it's almost the exact opposite. I've caught a million smallmouth on the river, um, only a few largemouth. Um, it's definitely kind of flip-flop, but... Um, it would be cool to fish someplace that has a lot of both. I think that would be pretty neat. It's fun because you're able to like work on different techniques and there's a lot of, and I, we can just roll into that too. I mean, so there's three techniques this year that I've started using, which I never had confidence in and we can focus on the jig and worm definitely. But and I can tell you the story on how I stumbled into that even, but like drop shot, I gained a ton of confidence in. That's how I got my win last week. It was a drop shot around sunken timber. Interesting. That's another another uh, technique that I have zero confidence in. I I have tried it a ton and have had zero success. So uh, not 100% sure what I'm doing wrong, but um, it's not for lack of trying. So <laughs> <laughs> I feel like all it takes is one good bite, though, and you'll have that confidence, and then your opinion will change. Like, no, I, and last, last I almost year. wish I would have thrown that this weekend or at last week at camp just to play around with it because um, – I, I brought a, I brought jigs with me last week because I'm like, I want to catch a jig fish. I don't catch a lot of jig fish, and I'm like, I'm going to bring a jig fi uh, uh, some jigs up there. And if I'm going to catch them, it's going to be there. But then the bottom was so mucky that the, the jig really didn't work great because it was just constantly down in that, that muck. So a drop shot probably would have been good in that situation. So Probably. Probably. So that's... Last year, I didn't throw that at all. I started this spring trying it for a spring bike, and I and I hooked up on my first trip ever using it, and that gave me some really big confidence. And then now it's always time. If, if I don't have a specific idea of what I'm going to do, it's one of my rods that are tied up knowing I'm going to try it. Like that's how much confidence I've gained in it just in this season alone. And that's what my win came on last week. I tried dragging a worm, 
same Texas rig with a 10 inch worm. I try to jig and worm. I try to jig and craw. I threw a wacky, I threw a top, a couple different kinds of top water. And every fish I caught came on that same drop, on that drop shot. I tried different colors and it, they were very picky on their color too and style also. Hmm. So I wanted, I was, I don't remember what I was using. I was using a little six inch Guggen something or another. What is like that? What do they call that? They're dropping whatever. Yeah, um, I think I know what you're talking about, but well, what is that called? I should just go grab my soft plastics and rip it all open. <laughs> but um, so I I tried some other things. Like I like a lot of the Bass Reaper stuff, and I really have a good success with their icicle. It, it's a really thin worm, and the tail like flares at the end. It almost looks like a kind of looks like an icicle with like a triangle on the end. And I've had really good success with that. That was nothing. I went right back to that that Guggen drop and whatever it is and dragon drop. Dragon drop. I, yep, yeah. That's it. Yep. And again, like they were hitting that. So I don't know if, if it was a profile thing. I didn't have the same colors for both to experiment if it was a color thing, mm -hmm. but that's what they wanted. Hmm. And how do you, um, do you, uh, experiment with how far, uh, how much, uh, line you put between the, uh, the leader and the, or the, uh, the hook and the weight or, is, you, is that more of a standard thing for you that you go with? I do about eight inches. That's eight what's inches. been working for me. Okay. So not super far off the bottom, but maybe a foot. I don't know. I hook my hook on the hook keeper. I wrap my line around the back, and then the weight sticks in my foam rod holder. So however long that winds up being, because <laughs> that's the, how I store it. So it works really well. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. So eight inches to a foot, depending on how it wraps around the reel. That's about where I'm at. And I know uh, when I talked to Jimmy about uh, Jimmy and I did a show on drop shotting a while back. And one of the things that I talked to him about was um, that that length, that length specifically between your hook and your weight really comes into play when you're casting out. You know, if you're just dropping it on fish, then that's not a big deal. But when you're casting out, the angle of your line really diminishes that length. So if you have eight inches, um, but you're, at a pretty steep angle, that's going to cut that down in half yeah. or more. So um, I didn't know, do you generally cast out or do you kind I'm of drop it on? So I'm, I'm generally casting out 40 to 50 feet. So this last lake, a um, lot of sunken timber in 15 foot of water. <laughs> and I have active target on my kayak. So I would use that to find the timber, to know what direction it is to cast to it. Um, while you can get your lure to show up on there, I find I spend more time looking at the screen rather than fishing then trying to find my lure because it's still a relatively narrow cone, especially in forward mode because it's a narrow cone and you're looking farther out rather than scout mode, which is wide. So what I really do is I just find out I'm like 50 feet away from the cover and it's kind of like at my 230-ish position. So I cast over there like 60-ish feet and drag it back into it. Gotcha. I like to stay at least 30 to 40 feet away from the cover I'm fishing. That's just preference. I probably could get closer. I know other people get closer. I like to stay as far away as I possibly can and still being able to present my lure. Gotcha. So, and then you just drag it till you feel it and then kind of let it hang out there a little bit or work it down right next so to I, it. I work it real slow back to me. And then if I feel a hang up, I'll jiggle it a little bit real light and pause. And then I'll pop it to get it past that hang up. And then mm -hmm. I'll slowly drag it back until it hits. It's like, could be a rock, could be a weed, could be one of the pieces, one of the timber over there. And then mm -hmm. as soon as I feel like that little hang up, 
I'll wait. I'll jiggle it a little bit, like let that worm or that, or that get get some good action because it's hung up now. So it's kind of like a teeter and you're able, able to work it almost like you're vertical jigging. Right. And I'll pause. And then if nothing happens, I'll give it that next pop to get, bring it back to me. That's how I work. That's how I work the drop shot. Gotcha. And do you prefer mostly floating worms with that? Or or I know um, when I was messing around with it in the river, I, I kept, I was using like big longs or not long, but the skinny Z-Man worms just because I knew that they would float versus something that I felt like might, you know, tend to drop down and then I'd have to work it back up, you know. That Guggen seems to, to be relatively, I wouldn't say it flow, it's pretty neutral buoyant and that Bass Reaper Icicle is real neutral buoyant as well. And I feel like they have really good action. Um, now, I never fish them vertically. I don't vertically jig them. Gotcha. So I really don't know how they either of those baits really work in a true straight up and down. Like, I've never just set it next to here to, like, see, like, how does that bait really react? Does it start to drop? Does it say neutral point? Because that's not really how I fish it. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, and that's that's one thing that I was always concerned, but maybe I don't have to worry about that as much, given that I generally cast it and don't drop it right on top of it. I'm not dropping straight down. So, so um, I, work I, was... mine, I work mine back super slow, always mm. leaving some tension like on the line. And sometimes just the wind alone with some tension will work that bait. You know, and it, like okay. that's how slow I'm dragging it as slow as I can while keeping tension on that line is what I'm trying to do. So gotcha. as that, that weight's crawling over whatever with that tension, you get movement just out of that bait, just from that little bit of up and down and vibration. Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. And um, I know, um, and how do, how do you generally work the uh, the bigger worms with the, the peg weight? Um, just dragging that on the bottom? Dragging it or, super slow. Yep. Um, giving it a pop occasionally to let, because I, uh, I do your standard worm weight. I've, I've switched to tungsten because I like the lower profile in the weeds. It sucks when you break it off, but it is what it is. Um, right. I do that. I do a bead and then I do my hook. So when you give it a little pop, you get that little click from the weight hitting the bead, which also protects your knot. But I like yep. that little click. I feel like that click can sometimes be the difference actually. Okay. But I drag that pretty slow. If I'm working like timber, like when I was there, I drag that pretty slow. Last night though, I was pitching it exactly where I wanted it with accurate casts, letting it fall. And then the fish would hit by the time, like I pulled the tension out a lot. They were hitting on the drop and I was keeping just enough tension. So when they would pull, I could set the hook, but I was okay. letting it be very loose to let that have a natural fall. And I know you mentioned that was in grass. Is that something that you would go to more in a, a in a super grassy environment versus, um, you know, something like the drop shot? I, I imagine drop shot stuff to fish and something like that. I know some people that love fishing the drop shot in grass. I don't prefer it in thick grass because it's an open hook. In right. lower grass, it's fine. Like I use those um, little tungsten like drop weights. So mm -hmm. they're actually like I use the specific weights designed for it. And those pull through the grass pretty good. And that'd be about the only time I'd consider maybe going with a longer length of line between the weight and that to keep that bait just in the top edge of the weeds as best I could. But I wouldn't say that's one of my preferred methods for fishing grass. Gotcha. And, honest, and honestly, the Texas rig, last night was only the second night I've thrown it. And I gained a ton of confidence throwing those long, that 10-inch worm on a Texas rig. That was my second time ever throwing it. So I don't have enough experience working that in that thick grass yet. So we'll see what happens there. But it's going to be something I try. 
No, and that's that's definitely something you know. Um, on the river, we have a lot of that celery grass that is it's it's super fragile. Like the second you touch it, it breaks. But it also that means it breaks off on your lures a lot. So you know, pretty much every time I'm bringing something back, I have something to clean off of it. So um, it's sure. definitely a, one of the tougher grasses that I've fished, um, just because it does break off so easily. And even stuff that normally, like you know, they say, oh, a jackhammer come through grass. It doesn't come through celery grass because it breaks off so easy and just gets wrapped around everything. So um, it's definitely been a challenge. I I've actually um, started using weightless flukes and stuff and just kind of letting that settle down into the very top of the grass because I don't you know I want to do everything I can not to get in there or or throw something that has um, you know no hook exposed at all um, and and you know even on some of those sometimes it'll even get caught caught up just on the front of the bait like if you throw a swim bait or something even if you have this uh, one of those swim bait hooks where you can bury the hook it'll still just get caught on the front of the swim bait and cat gather grass there so um, sure. it's definitely a challenging grass to fish if i you know as far as the different grasses that i fished in so that texas rig might work pretty well for you then to be honest just because you, if you go with the tungsten weight it's so much smaller of a profile for you to get hung up on and then that so crazy thing last night that 10 inch worm got so beat up like i had to replace it obviously because you go through soft plastics but i only had a few minutes left and i had a seven inch ribbon tail sitting in my cup holder from a different like bait that i never rigged so i threw that on quick pitching back to the same spot i couldn't believe the difference that worm made and how much more grass got hung up on it, it interesting like night and day difference that 10 inch worm came through the grass beautifully every cast with that seven inch worm which was a different style still mm -hmm. like a ribbon tail but different manufacturer every cast came back hung up huh so something you probably i really really should experiment with just because uh if yeah two ribbon tail worms both are come back completely different it's got to be you know it's definitely worth trying some different baits so i, I have to keep look, that in mind. that that 10 inch worm has a super smooth body mm -hmm. i think that other ribbon tail that ribbon tail's got like the ribs through the front. I think that was the difference. Interesting. I don't know for sure, but there was a noticeable difference because the first time I casted that seven inch in there, I'm like, oh, oh fight. I'm like, wait, that was weak. I'm like, what is going on here? And I cast it back. It was the same thing. I'm like, this makes no sense. There's a notice. Like, so there was a noticeable difference between the design of those two worms and how they came through grass. Interesting. That's definitely something I'll have to keep in mind then because it sounds like for sure uh if there's ribbing or something like that on the worm it definitely makes a difference i'll have to keep that in mind it did in the like the matted like thick grass i was like that was butting up against these clear water spots and had some current cutting through it like it, it definitely made a difference there like noticeable where like it clicked on my second cast like that noticeable where it wasn't like why am i catching weeds it was like i changed worms like wow gotcha well, and then um, I know you mentioned the jigging worm, and uh, I was wondering how you came about using that because I know you said that you have an interesting story about that too. Because until you mentioned it, I had not heard of it before. So, so I've always been a big jig fan, craws, things like that on my jig, creature baits like the spiny craw, or like some lizard type, like big flangey like stuff like that. 
but normally I'd like rip them down so they were a slightly smaller profile. But I still liked a lot of like fluff coming out of it. You can say like legs, things like that. Unless I was skipping docks, then I rip all that off and I just had two tails, so it's so I, it backlashes less for me. Right. But I don't remember what tournament it was. I had a bad night. Like my trolling motor didn't work on my kayak. I wound up having a loose wire in the hull. Um, I broke a rod. And something else happened too. Like it was just a really bad night. I still took third. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I had a terrible, miserable night fishing. I only put two boat, two fish in the boat, and I still took third because it was just a super tough fight that night. But after after I broke that rod, I'm like, I have an extra reel, and I had this Saint Croix rod. It's a six foot six medium heavy fast that I just had laying around because I couldn't find a good use for it. I bought it because I'm in Wisconsin and I go grouse hunting up in St. Croix, like up by in Park Falls a lot. And that's where St. Croix is out of. So I go in their shop at least once a year, if not twice a year. And I look through all their B stock and their C stock and I got a really good deal on this rod. And this was when I was first getting into bass fishing, like really starting to take a better look at it, and really starting to try to hone my skills. And I'm like, it was cheap. I'm like, well, it's a six, six medium heavy. I'll find a use for it. And I actually used it for a crankbait rod for a while, which it wasn't a great crankbait rod, but it wasn't a bad rod. So I had this rod just laying here and I'm like, and I just broke that rod and I had this reel. So I'm like, well, let's find something similar in the St. Croix line. So I was looking at the Mojo series and they had a, a jig and worm rod, which previously was six, six. And now I think it's six, eight. I'm like, what the heck is a jig and worm? So I started Googling it. I'm like, that's all it is. It's a jig with a worm. Like it's that simple. Like I'm thinking some complex, like bait, like, no, it's, it's literally a jig with a worm on the back of it. I'm like, well, I got a rod for it. We might as well try it. <laughs> so I threw on a three ounce swim jig. Um, normally something I would use for skipping docks. And that was my plan. I was gonna go out and skip docks with it. And I put on a seven inch rage, um, cutter worm. And I, and I, and I ripped it down just a little bit. So it was probably like five and a half or six, but I wanted, I wanted that big tail and I wanted that chunky worm on it. Mm -hmm. I skipped it under the first dock and it, like, I went out to pre-fish. This was the weekend. This was the Saturday after I had that really bad tournament. So I went out there. I wanted to make sure my kayak was working and everything else. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go out in the kayak. I'm going to pre-fish this lake. And I went out there with that jig and worm. And my first cast under the dock was a 17. Wow. I'm like, huh. I caught three more on docks, like within 10 minutes. I'm like, okay, found a dock bite. This is cool. Um, talked to a homeowner for a while about my kayak and my setup. And then I went and started to look, working some deep water stuff with some different baits. And then I found that creek I went into, which one last night, I, I found that pre-fishing. And what really sealed the deal with that jigging worm is I found an 18 and three quarter on a log with that thing and it hammered it. And then I'm like, there's something to these bigger baits and these bigger, slimmer profiles. Cause it's a big profile. I mean, you got your three ace jig with like seven, eight, seven inches of worm sticking off the back. It is a, but, but I've caught fish skipping docks on it now, flipping it to timber and letting that tail wag. And I've also caught fish swimming it on top of grass. So actually hmm. using a swim jig like a swim jig, which I never used to do. I always used a swim jig just because I like the profile and I could skip it super easy. So I, was, I also have been starting to catch them like actually swimming a jig back through grass where a lot of times I would use a vibrating jig, but I'm like, 
let's try a slightly a slightly more sub subtle profile and that seems to be working too so it, it's just a really universal bait now for me that i can work in tons of different applications interesting and it, yeah. it sounds like you know you, you can really vary the retrieve you can fish it more traditionally like a regular jig you know and just like slowly you know crawl it back or work it real slow around cover but if you're also fishing it like a swim jig you mean moving it i think you can definitely you know that's definitely two vastly different techniques that uh if you have the same rod in your hand and can do both that's going to be a pretty versatile versatile uh lore to use it sounds and with like that really and with that rage tail like i'm not like there's plenty of different soft plastics out there it's just what i had that, um but it's got that big fat tail on it so when you're swimming it it gets a ton just a ton of motion in the water and that same that same thing as well like skipping it under docks or like when i when i let it hit the ground and i kind of pop it that tail is just so big and flapping like rather than that shorter craw profile which i really do like too like i still use a nice i still use a craw um i don't know which one i like better to be honest like i normally will like lately i've been bringing two jig rods with me one with a craw, like a smaller profile in the jig and worm. If I'm not getting bit on the jig and worm, I'll go to the craw. And sometimes I want that smaller profile, a little more subtle. I also can skip that better. So a lot of times I can get that farther under those docks, which is where the less pressured fish are because not a lot, watching a lot of anglers, not a lot of anglers can skip baits. It's not like it took me probably a good solid year and a half of actually practicing before I could do it consistently with accuracy. I can so, do it with a spinning rod a way better than I can do it with a, a casting rod. I, um, I skip wacky rigs all the time because uh, the lake I fish has a lot of uh, trees on the shoreline that are just at the water level. So I like to you know skip it up under those trees back to the, the shoreline because a lot of fish hang out there. So that was something I learned on a spinning rod pretty fast. But <laughs> it's definitely not the same when I try and do it with a casting rod. It's... It's never a pretty picture, and I usually spend a lot of time picking up backlashes. So, one thing that helped me, and this probably won't help everybody else, is I loosened everything up on my reel and I stopped casting so hard. Okay. I started to do more of a roll cast and let the weight of the lure take it rather than forcing it. And I actually loosened up my reel, which seems counterproductive, I know, but like that to me made a difference where I could roll it in on that looser reel. Gotcha. Gotcha. I know um, I have the angle. Right. No, I have, I have a DC um, that I started using for that. And uh, I can do it a little bit with the DC because I'm not as worried about backlashing. Um, But uh, on a regular casting rod, I still struggle, but that's off to try that loosening up a little bit then and see if that works at all. Um, Definitely worth a shot. Although, like I said, if I have to do it, I pretty much, go with the spinning rod at this point just because i know i can skip with the spinning rod but so if you want to start practicing figure out about how long you're going to be casting 50 75 feet pull that much line off your reel like just leave it on your reel i believe don't cut it but pull out like a 75 feet ish a line or a hunt like whatever you think that casting difference is depending on like i'm probably not i'm not 75 feet away from a dock when i'm skipping right. i'm 30 40 feet at most maybe sometimes even only 20 feet just to get that accuracy in there. And normally you have a little bit of, a little bit of waves. I'm not as worried about being so close for noise, but I, I took about 50 feet 
and I wrapped a piece of electrical tape around it and then reeled on top of it. So if mm -hmm. you backlash, you're only to the electrical tape. Right. No, I, I that's actually how I first started learning to the baitcast in the beginning. Um, I watched uh, a uh, oh uh, Gene Jensen video, and he had talked about doing that when you're first learning to to throw a baitcaster. So initially, I I used that trick just to learn how to cast a baitcaster. So that's definitely a good idea yeah, uh, to learn up, how to skip. Because then you're not fighting that backlashes. And what's worst case scenario? Like it's it's that bad. Cut off 50 feet of line, retie, put new tape on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, when I was learning, I ran super, like not super cheap line, but cheap enough line that I didn't care about. Right. And it was just new line. So it's like, it was new, but I let it sit for a little bit. So you didn't like, so it actually wanted to cooperate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if that makes yeah. sense. Like I threw no, some long casts and I pulled some stretch into it and whatnot. So it actually was like malleable because I think brand new line is one of the worst things to cast with personally, a lot of times. No, for sure. And, um, and that's another thing like I I used to go uh, practice when I was grilling, like anytime I'm out in the backyard grilling, I would take the baitcaster out and just toss to all corners of the backyard, work on flipping and pitching, all sorts of stuff. Um, but skipping is not something you can really practice out of the water. You know, it, it doesn't seem I did. to. I stood on a cooler. I stood on a cooler in my front yard next to my sidewalk and I skipped it down the sidewalk. I just said goodbye to sidewalk. that jig. <laughs> and then we skip it down the sidewalk because if you get your angle wrong on that first skip, you're going to backlash. Right. So I stood. No, on that a makes cooler. sense. So I stood on a cooler, which is about the right height of what I figured like my kayak would be off the water. And then I would skip down the side. I would skip down the sidewalk. And my jig was trashed. Like, no. like it was like the lead was all mangled and everything, but it was already <laughs> an old busted. I think. I think the hook broke off on it or something or the weed guard fell out or something. So I didn't care about it anymore, but yeah, right. I'd, be, I'd just be right in my front yard, like standing out like on the, on a cooler and my neighbor's looking at me crazy as I'm whipping a jig down a sidewalk. <laughs> I will have to try that. I, uh, I didn't think that it would be, it would work very well, but as long as you, I definitely have a, a jig or two, I think I could spare. So I'll have to try that. It you'll, when you've, You'll start to see when you get it on the concrete, like when it really wants to skip, like either you're going to be too high and it's going to bounce or you're going to be too short and it's going to either stub or like do a big hop. You'll start to see when you get that sweet spot. And that sweet spot is pretty similar to the water's sweet spot. Like it, it actually is. Interesting. No, I, I'm, well, I have uh, some time uh, where I can't really go anywhere. So I think I know there what I'm go. doing tomorrow after dinner. <laughs> got it worked for me. It helped me a lot. Just getting that like roll cast down and then you can play around with like making your reel a little looser and see mm -hmm. if you can't let that bait work a little more for you rather than trying to force it down there. Like let it skip on its own, pull its own weight. That's actually something I've been working on a lot with my bait casters is loosening up in general, just to, to get more casting distance and, and stuff like that. And I, you know, as I've gotten better and better and don't backlash nearly as much, uh, um, I've been slowly taking off the brakes and, and, and continuing to learn and get that feel to really up my casting distance and, and accuracy and everything. So um, it's definitely time for the skipping to come into uh, that as well. So I still backlash plenty skipping. Like <laughs> you're, you're never going to get around it. Um, right. I don't remember. I think it was the G-Man did an episode on skipping and like, like 
one of the first words out of his mouth, like he had a backlash. He goes, if you ain't backlash, you ain't skipping. Like right from him. Like he's probably like one of the best people that can skip in a bass boat. And his first words are like, he's picking out a bag out, out, out of bird's nest. He goes, if you ain't getting bird nest, you ain't skipping right. Like it just happened. Cause sometimes you catch that wave just wrong and it stubs. Right. Or your role is slightly off. I mean, it still happens now when it happens though, a lot of times I can still have that bait. Most of the time it'll still be under that pier somewhat. And I don't have much to pull out quick. And and I've been bit on that just because it's got 10 extra seconds of a hesitation under there. And then I'll go to right. pick up the no. line and, and there's a bass on it. <laughs> that has actually happened to me too uh, on, on several occasions, even with the uh, like a wacky worm where um, I'll cast it and, you know, something will happen and I'll be letting it sit there. Um, and that really helped me learn more patience with the wacky rig as well about letting it sink and, and giving it time. Because, uh, when I first started fishing it, um, I wasn't being super patient and, um, catching bass like that, let me know that I do need to be patient. And that's really, for me, definitely, a, a kind of patience and a line watching, uh, uh, technique for sure. Um, now that I've gotten accustomed to it. And for a while there, it was my go-to, go-to technique because I was most comfortable with it. Now I've kind of branched out a little bit, um, to a few other things, but definitely has a, a place in my heart as kind of the first technique that I really had success with. So I, I've got a lot of different techniques I have confidence in when it's down to the wire and I need to catch fish. I'm going shallow with a wacky, like that is still like, my if, if everything's down and out and i haven't found a bite i'm going to docks i'm going to i'm going to structure i'm going to tight to cover like different reeds or like cattails and flipping it to clear patches in there and i'm going with a wacky like when it comes down to it like if i had one lure if i could choose if i only had one lure to fish to win like 100 grand I, i'm like i've got confidence in felony baits this year like on top of other years but it's the wacky hands down. No, I, I agree. And and that's why I used to struggle a lot then when it would be really windy because I couldn't throw it very well. I mean, it, it still worked, but I definitely couldn't watch the line as well. And anytime I'd get that big bow in the line and I'm just like, Oh, this sucks. I just can't fish the way I want to fish. Um, and, um, you know, now when that happens, then I switch to like a crankbait or something that I can really move and, and kind of doesn't matter how windy it is because I'm pulling it tight and running it that way. Um, but I usually will have a wacky rig tied on just in case uh, it dies down. Or like you said, I just need to get something going to get some confidence going. So, Right. See, that's that's one thing like crankbaits and jerkbaits. I've had such hit or miss success. Like I don't even have my crankbait box in my crate. Like hmm. I don't have a, like I have a crankbait rod. I'll fish crankbaits like insert very very specific situations but for the most part i don't bring it i don't bring the crankbaits with like i have such little confidence in those and jerk baits i mean going fishing with a friend in spring like i was using a carolina rig with a worm he was throwing a jerk bait we were both catching fish there was no way i would have put on a jerk bait though like that's how little my confidence is i was watching him catch fish with it I, I still wouldn't throw like, and I've tried, like, it's not like, I'm just like, Oh, it doesn't work. No. Like I just have such little confidence and I've never gotten on that good jerk bait bite where it's like, 
all right, this is what it produces. Mm -hmm. Like it's just so far. Like it's like that's another like those like that and crankbaits are like the techniques that are next on my list to try to like really determine the when, where, and how. I feel like uh, crankbaits and lipless cranks. I got jerk baits. Definitely not. I'm in the same boat with jerk baits. I whenever I throw it, I feel like I'm not either not throwing it where the fish are, or I'm not working it right, or something. And I've had multiple people tell me, "Oh, you know." I'm going to take you uh, out and we'll, we'll, we'll get you on a good jerkbait bite, but uh, just haven't had an opportunity to do that. And so I still have zero confidence in a, in a jerkbait as well. I, I might, I think I've maybe caught one or two fish on it, you know, in the time that I've been fishing and I, I caught, I caught one uh, trolling a mega bass vision 110 once I caught a walleye that way actually. And, <laughs> um, but um, just actually working a jerkbait the way it's supposed to be worked or at least the way I think it should be worked. I've only maybe caught two fish. Uh, so it's definitely not a confidence bait for me either, but crank baiting and, and, and the lipless crank, the rattle trap that has been my go-to in the past, you know, year on the river for sure. Um, Cause I like, I'm a, fan, I'm a fan of the rattle trap. I'm a fan of a lipless crank bait in the springtime when you get that emergent vegetation up by me and you mm -hmm. can rip it right over the top of that vegetation. Like, you might get hung up occasionally, but you can just work that one so well in those shallower waters, those warmer waters, and you're just starting to get that vegetation to come up. I love a lipless, a loud, heavy rattling, ripless crankbait. I mean, it's right there with like a, a vibrating jig, like a jackhammer or something like that. But sometimes I really like that lipless crankbait instead. No, I, I, that's, it's definitely, I love how much water I can cover with it. Um, on the Susquehanna, it's very rocky. Um, it is grassy now. Um, the grass is starting to come up, but when when the grass is still, you know, just coming out, uh, I feel like a crankbait works great because I can just run along the bottom and just cover tons of river, and you know, pick up bass left and right. So um, now that it's, the grass is really starting to come out, um, I kind of put that away. Go to the lipless, something that I can kind of rip out of the grass a little more. I feel like I, I have a little better luck with that than a crankbait through the grass as well. But uh, Sure. You don't have that bill hanging up and getting line wrapped around it, and then they all pile on the bill. Right. Yep. No, for sure. Um, now, and then that's not to say that the lipless comes back uh, clean very often. Um, usually I'm, I'm cleaning that off as well. But um, just ripping it through, I seem to get more hits on that, ripping it through than I did on the crankbait. So. I mean, like – I've never like I've I've used different techniques, but I've watched anglers like I've been a co-angler before. I've had co-anglers in my old bass boat, um, gone fishing with other buddies in kayaks that we're fishing deep water and I'm fishing a slower like a drop shot or a really big fan of the Neko rig. Like that's one of my go-tos for deep water um, for a present for like a, just a finesse presentation. I'll choose that over a net any day for me. I have way more confidence in that. Um, but they're fishing like DT 16s and DT 20s and they're smacking smallies. And like, I'm like, how, like, I can't get that to work in a, on a crankbait. Like I don't like fishing open water, like with DT 20s, like, and ticking the bottom, like, and they're getting hammered. And if I do anything other than finesse, it's like, where are all the fish? <laughs> no, for me, the, for the longest time, it was about the rod. Like I fished a lot of crankbaits initially and, didn't really have any luck um and then i bought this uh cheap casking crankbait rod off a guy on craigslist i think it was like 90 bucks or something like that and uh as soon as i got that rod for some reason i don't know what it was about it but i started catching fish and uh then i got my confidence in it and didn't look back from there man uh, 
I ended up, I lost that, <laughs> I lost that rod uh, earlier in the summer uh, here on the Susquehanna. And um, I since upgraded to um, a Shimano Corrado rod, uh, crankbait rod that luckily I, I think I found one that's pretty much equivalent to that casting as far as the action and everything, because uh, it seems to work just as good. Um, and I'm super happy with it. I kind of was a little picky about what I wanted to replace that with. And I almost went with the same exact rod just because I had so much success with it. But sure. for me, crankbaits was definitely about the rod. Until I got that rod, I had zero confidence. And um, I don't know what it was about that rod, the way it must be the way the, you know, it just, I don't even know. It just was a confidence thing for me, for sure. Yeah, and I picked up I picked up a glass a, a glass crankbait rod rather than a carbon, which mm -hmm. that's taken a little bit to get used to because it's got such a different feel. And I oh, haven't yeah. spent enough time with it yet on the water. I've thrown it a couple times, like, and I'm like, man, this thing is different. Like, it's just, it almost feels spongy. I don't know how to describe it because I'm so used to like. And I have medium powered. I have, I have moderate, like, but that glass, me, like, medium moderate rod, like, it's just so different feeling than what I'm used to. So I got to, I got to try to spend some time and see if I can't get on a good crankbait bike to try to really figure that out and like, really get that rod dialed in to see if I like it, like the glass rod for that application. I yeah. No. And I, I, I have the, I have a similar rod. I bought a, uh, a Saint Croix glass um, cranking. Uh, rod specifically for that because i was like oh well, maybe if uh you know i like the carbon rods then maybe a glass rod will be even better but um i don't know the st croix st croix in general to me is stiffer than what the action says and this rod is no different like it's it's a moderate uh glass rod and it to me fish is not like a moderate rod uh sure. it definitely is a it's a little bit stiffer so i tend to use that rod as my crank or as my uh uh my uh, jackhammer or uh, my bladed jig rod just because uh i don't have i don't know that i need quite the parabolic bend that i get from my regular crankbait rod so um that's generally what i use the st croix rod for even though it's listed as a crankbait rod i tend to use it more for bladed jigs and stuff so and if it's got a i mean mine's the st croix mine, mine's also a st croix and I would agree it is a little on the stiffer side, but I'm so used to glass medium heavies and stuff like that. Like to me, it still has that weird like feel to it. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Um, even like, like it feels so much different than I have a quantum. Um, oh, what were they calling those? It's one of their, it's one of their custom builds. They were custom building rods for their tournament anglers and you could buy the extras. Okay. And I got one of those in a medium fast and, that feels nothing like that glass rod. Like that thing's super sensitive. That's what I was using yesterday for um, that 10 inch worm on the Texas rig. And that thing is crazy sensitive because I could pick, pick up those ticks like with just a little bit of like tension in that line, but still letting it fall naturally. Like I could feel it super easy, but that glass rod feels so different. Cool. Yeah, no, I, it's definitely, it took me a while to get used to it too. And it, I still, when I lost the, the casking rod and I was like, oh, well, I'll just use the, the St. Croix glass rod for my crankbait rod. I, I tried it for a while. I'm like, no, no, I got to go find something else because it just, it wasn't the same. It didn't, didn't have the same, it definitely didn't have the same confidence in it. It just didn't feel the same to me. So, um, and I, luckily the guys at uh, the tackle shop closest to me were really cool and were patient with me while I 
you know, search for the equivalent of that casking rod because uh, I really wanted to to get something similar. And they uh, they showed me a lot of different rods before I kind of settled on that uh, Shimano Corrado one. Um, and uh, uh, but I'm definitely happy with it. So nice. Yeah. Nice. Oh man. Well, um, we're getting on near an hour. Um, I think uh, I wanted to give you a chance to let folks know where they can hear your segment as well as any sponsors that you have. I wanted to shout out, of course. Yeah, absolutely. So my segment's the feather and fur. We, I'm hunting focused, as you can't tell by my background. I do fish as well, and I'm a kayak fisherman, but I don't talk much specifically about hunting from kayaks. I talk about hunting in general. A lot of my shows roll into bird hunting, dog training. I have specific dog training episodes, big game hunting. So it's really just a general feel of hunting, and I keep my shows really laid back. I try to be just be like two guys around a campfire drinking whiskey, swapping stories, unless if we're really specifically diving into like how to set up like how to set up good behaviors in a puppy that lead to better training opportunities. So like how to create behaviors. Like I have an episode specifically on how to create like how to establish good puppy behaviors to aid in your training future. So like I do have those detailed driven episodes, but a lot of minor storytelling. And that's no, I think that's the, the the shows of yours that I've listened to definitely have that sitting around a campfire vibe to them for sure. So, and that's what I wanted because that's what I enjoy. I love grouse camp. I love deer camp. I mean, we just sit around, we tell stories about pasts and pre like, yeah, it's just a good time. So that's how I really wanted my show to feel. But I still wanted that informational at times too, like to really drive into specific topics. So I think it's been a good balance. No, I think so too. I think you're doing a great job, and I, it's definitely something that you're really not going to find many other places for sure. So I don't think so. I think it's kind of unique. I like it um, that my next episode actually airs this coming Saturday. So it's cool. bi-weekly. Nice. And how about sponsors? Who do you want to shout out? Uh, we'll start with new canoe. Um, I, I'm thankful for letting me join on one of their dealer teams. Um, I'm on the Rocktown adventures fishing team. So Rocktown adventures is my local kayak shop out of Rockford, Illinois, and thankful that they brought me on. Um, what else do we got? We've got Hardwater Freaks. If you're into like Max is a great guy and he does, and we got linked up because he does so much for veterans and I do stuff for veterans and he's not a sponsor. Like I, he, I don't get anything from Hardwater Freaks. So he's not a sponsor, but I have his logo on my jersey because we really have the same mission and that's to get veterans and first responders, kids, women, like into the outdoors to like make sure like our outdoor traditions survive. And that goes for duck hunting and fishing, ice fishing. So he's not a sponsor, but he deserves a huge shout out because we really have the same mission and he let me put a logo on my jersey. So and that and as far as I know, I'm the only logo on any jersey out there from Hardwater Freaks. So that's awesome. <laughs> uh, that is great. I, I love it. Uh, Swamp Buck Camel, uh, great camel company, and then they have an entire fishing line in which they're dropping at both <coughs> at, at July here. They're dropping all a whole bunch of different shirts and different weights and things like that. That's Really, the shirt I've been wearing all year, it's got a built-in buff and a built-in hood, which is really nice because I don't have to remember the buff or any of that. So I got a huge thank you to Swamp Buck Cabell. And then, like I said, Wisconsin Hero, Wisconsin Hero Outdoors. I'm the South Central Project Coordinator, so shout out to them also. And then Paddle and Finn. Yeah. I can't remember them. Uh, you know, they definitely gave us both a great opportunity, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be uh, a part of that as well. So can't thank uh, Brian enough for – uh, giving me a shot and, uh, you know, definitely look to continue, uh, you know, being part of this family because it's a pretty special group we got, I think. It's been good times. Dale Hollow was fun. 
Oh yeah, heck yeah, it was. So I'm excited for next year already. Yeah, no, for sure. I I am looking forward to it. I'd love to make iCast too one of these years. I just gotta save up some vacation because uh, doing the camp thing uh, definitely takes uh, zaps my vacation in half pretty much every year. But uh, definitely something I don't know that I would trade for much else because that's a another special experience that uh, is near and dear to my heart for sure. But I can totally echo uh, your uh, support of the veterans. I'm a big supporter of my uh, local heroes on the water uh, chapter. We have an event coming up this Saturday. Uh, sadly, I'm going to miss because of my stupid COVID stuff, but uh, uh, we still got another three or four events left this year. So I'm definitely looking forward to uh, helping out with that and uh, including our two biggest events. Um, so uh, I'm excited for those and um, just super happy to support veterans and, uh, you know, first responders and in that uh, aspect. So thanks for all you do for uh, veterans as well. And uh, I think that's a very noble cause. So. I agree. It's I didn't serve myself, so it's my way of giving back to those who did. And that's how I look at it. And it, it's a big thing for me. So that's exactly how I was to um, they a lot of times at our events, people ask me, oh, did you serve? And I'm like, no, uh, my dad was a military contractor. So I kind of grew up around the military um, my whole younger life, but uh, never served. I have a lot of family that served and I was the same way. I just want to give back and say thanks to those people who, who do uh, to do uh, do what they do so that I can have the freedoms that I enjoy. So exactly my thought. All right, man. Well, Brad, thanks again so much for coming on and uh, uh, letting us know. I, I super hope I didn't jinx you um, and um, I wish you the best of luck. Um, keep uh, crushing it out there. I, uh, hope you can uh, run away with the angler of the year and, um, you know, totally, uh, you know, continue to crush the rest of this season and, and, uh, wish you the best of luck with the feather and fur, um, segment as well. And, um, definitely look forward to hearing more of that as well. So appreciate you having me on. All right, man. Well guys, thanks for tuning in for another episode of bass fishing for noobs here on the panel and fin podcast, where we bring you the techniques, the tricks and the tips to help you rip more lips. You guys have a good night. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode here on Paddle and Fin. Be sure to drop a five-star rating, a thumbs up, or smash that subscribe button on any platform you're listening in on. Be sure to check us out on Waypoint TV, waypointtv.com. Make sure you sign up for the Fantasy Kayak Fishing League at paddleandfin.com forward slash fantasy. You could support this show through Patreon, patreon.com forward slash paddle and fin. Don't forget to check out the website paddleandfin.com. Catch us on YouTube. If you got a question, comment, or want to see a future guest on the show, be sure to email us at paddleandfin at gmail.com. Shout out to our show supporters, Yak Gadget. You can check out all the fine kayak accessories at yakgadget.com. Pelican Professional. For all your cases, coolers, and lighting needs, go to pelican.com. Rocktown Adventures, your Midwest premier paddle sports destination, go to rocktownadventures.com. Eastport Marina, the beautiful destination on Dale Hollow Lake. If you're looking for lodging, kayaks, kayak accessories, or anything fishing related on the beautiful Dale Hollow Lake, go to eastport.info. Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com and fill your tackle boxes today.